Well, could you open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians? We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. We'll keep in Ephesians for a little bit. This is part of our sermon series this morning, From Gate to Go. There we go. It's up on the screen, From Gate to Go. And this is the third message in the series entitled Gospel Growth. Gospel Growth. I'll give you a moment there. We'll just keep it open to Ephesians. We're going to get there in a little bit. But first, we have a little fun tradition in the Smidgen household. We did it this past fall, August, September, October, when all of our children's birthdays roll around. We do this. We get a bright marker, and each child has their own color, and we mark their height on a door frame of a particular door in our house. Given we've been there in this house for over 12 years, and we have five children, you can imagine there's a lot of ink on this one particular door frame. And these measurements, they're an annual event that we look forward to and anticipate. In fact, the children never forget each and every birthday. And they repeatedly remind me as well, lest I forget, it is time to take their height, their measurement. Well, what's the big deal? Well, simply this. Our children want to see how much they've grown in the past year. There's really an embedded an embedded assumption here in their anticipation. It's this, that they have grown, that they are growing. Sometimes we measure them, it's been an inch. Sometimes two, three, four, I think even one year, five inches of growth in one year. And it varies, of course, from child to child, from year to year. But one year we noticed that one of our children had barely grown in terms of their height. What do we do as parents? We did that which any parent would do. We panicked. (laughs) We didn't panic, but we went to the doctor, right? We had a natural question to ask, which says, is there something wrong with our child? Why? Because a child was not growing. Church, you know that there's an expectation in Scripture that you would grow, that I would grow. Long beyond the years that we grow in height or physically grow, we would continue to spiritually grow. That we, as children of God, would be more and more conformed into the image of Christ. In other words, that we would mature. God's agenda for you and for me is change. And that agenda includes growth. That you and I, by God's grace, would not be the same next year, the year after that, or the year after that, as we are today. That we would grow and we would grow together. Oh, may it be for us at Palm Vista. I'm glad you're here this morning for our Sunday service where we connect together, connect to God and to one another. But here's my question as we gather and connect this morning. Number one, are you growing? Are you maturing in your faith, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your witness to the watching world 
in your service to God? Are you taking advantage of the means of grace to grow that we have here at Palm Vista? And do you even know what they are? See, these just aren't personal questions. How you answer these questions, are you growing, are you maturing, speaks not just to your growth, but it speaks to our growth as a church as well. With that in mind, let's pray. Well, Lord, we are praying this morning that you would grow us. And Lord, we believe, help us to believe that we are praying according to your will. For Lord, we learn from the book of Ephesians, the very first chapter, says, even as you chose us in him, that is Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Oh Lord, you did not choose us because we were holy and blameless. You chose us to make us holy and blameless. You predestined us that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. So Lord, what we're praying this morning, what we're hoping for as a church and individually, is your will to be done. That you would grow us. That we might grow and mature as a church. By your grace, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our vision statement as a church, you've seen it, want to put it on the overhead here, simply this. In Christ, we connect, we grow, and we grow. And we go, excuse me. We connect, we grow, and we go. Last week, we spoke about connecting and the importance of this service right here, our Sunday service. This morning, my objective is to speak about this second piece, the grow piece, particularly how our community groups and our small groups of Palm Vista function. But first, let's make the connection between the connect and the grow. And to do that, I want to go back to last week's text, Ephesians 2, hopefully have it open, starting with verse 13. I'm going to read verse 13 through 15 of Ephesians 2. It's through the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. God reconciled Jew and Gentile. And Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2, 13 reading the word of God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, who were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Here's the reason, that he might create in himself, what? One new man in place of the two, so making peace. Oh, there's a lot going on in that verse. We're not going to unpack it all again this morning. But what I, want, what I want you to hear is this. In Christ, God has created one new man. That's us, together. But it doesn't stop there. God's intent, yes, was to create one new man, us, the church. But not just to save us, but to sanctify us, to grow us and to mature us together. As a church, you may have not known, but we turned 18 this past year. We're officially an adult. Paul Vista, we've reached adulthood, okay? We're 18 years old, at least as our culture sees it. Well, providentially, my oldest son also turned 18 years old this past year. And for fun, we gave him a manly man kit. This was a real ammunition box. And in that ammunition box 
We had a quad blade razor for him. We had some Old Spice aftershave. And this is the best of all. I'm really proud of this one. Caffeinated shaving cream. Caffeinated shaving. Does that get any more manly than that? Caffeinated shaving cream. Yes. We gave this to our son. It was just a fun way of recognizing something serious and right. That our son is maturing. And he should be maturing. And yes, growing facial hair as well. You see, God's intent is to create one new man. And that one new man is to be a mature man. Facial hair and all. And I want you to see it in scripture, Ephesians 4. Just flip two chapters forward from where you are in Ephesians 2. And I want to read about this mature man, okay? We're going to start in verse 11. We'll go through verse... I'm going to read verses 11 through 13 first, and then we'll stop there. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. He gave leaders to equip the saints, you all, us, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And catch this, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, please note, Paul doesn't say that the goal is that you and I would just become mature individuals. That is true. That's not what it says here. The word interpreted in your Bibles, manhood in the ESV, the version I read, the word behind that is the word used for a singular male. That we would become this one new man, a mature man. Now, Paul, the human author of this book, Ephesians, he, he's not excluding women here. He's making a profound point. Together, as a church, male and female, Jew and Gentile, we are to become one mature man or body. In other words, we collectively are to grow up. Break out the razor and the Old Spice aftershave, all right? This growing up is contrasted with a bunch of spiritually and emotionally immature and unstable children. Look at verse 14, the next verse in Ephesians 4. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. As a church, together, we are to grow and mature into one body of whom Christ is the head. It's his will. It's his will for you. It is his will for me. It's his will for Palm Vista Community Church. Now look at verse 15, the very next verse. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to, there's that word, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part, that's you, every joint, each part, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Huh. There was so much to comment on in, this, in these verses. But for the purpose of this sermon, I want to capture three points that are being made from the scripture I just read that's going to guide our thinking about growth in the local church. We're going to put on the overhead here. Number one, we learn from the scripture. Number one, we are to grow together. It says we, we are to grow up. Christian growth, maturation and progress, it doesn't happen in isolation, church. And this can be hard to grasp in our individualistic mindset as Americans, isn't it? Tend to think about growth is between me. It's up to me. It's all about me, my growth. No, no, no. We grow together. And that leads to the second bullet point there. We need each other to grow. So here's the reality. You can't grow, not fully as God intended you to grow, without me. But you know what else? Let's flip it. I cannot grow fully as God intended without you. We are interconnected. We are interdependent. Verse 16, I already read it, Ephesians 4. When each part, every joint, that's you and me, is working properly, when we're working properly together, makes, you make, I make, the body grow. So that it builds itself up in love. And that leads to the third bullet point. We grow and we grow together as we speak the truth in love to one another. I interpret that to mean speaking the truth of God, the gospel to one another. As we speak the truth in love, we remind each other of what is true, of what God has done for us in Christ and what God has promised to do for us in Christ. Speaking the truth in love, I believe, also means correcting one another when our thinking is in error. This may also mean exhorting one another to live a life worthy of the gospel. I believe it means all those things. We, when we're working together, when we're working properly, when we're speaking the truth to one another in love, makes the body grow, makes the church grow, that we together would be a mature man. But what biblical practices help us grow together in the gospel? What biblical practices help us to grow together in the gospel? That's the question I want to address this morning. And let me start with this. What happens right here, right now, Sunday mornings, what we're doing? This is the connect phase of our discipleship process. Corporate worship, preaching of the word, Bible 45, our Sunday school class, that which we just had prior to this service. All those things are critical for our growth. If you're in the GROW course in Bible 45, we spent three weeks speaking about the importance of the Word of God in our growth and the role of the Holy Spirit in our growth. So I want you to hear that. We need the Word of God. That's what we're preaching this morning. We don't just need the word of God. We need the Holy Spirit to illumine God's word and to illumine Christ to us. That is critical. But at Sunday service, 
and a class, you know what? It's not enough. Not if I'm reading Ephesians 4 correctly. No, to grow, we need to be ministering God's truth and love to one another. To grow as a church together and thus answer the question. I want to highlight two key biblical practices this morning. Number one, the gift of fellowship. And secondly, the gift and ministry of encouragement. I call them gifts. They're gifts to be exercised. They're gifts that are given to us as a church. Biblical fellowship and yes, encouragement. So let's talk about fellowship first as we begin. You see, it's our small groups, our community groups at Palm Vista that are set up and designed to be greenhouses of growth that we might experience this biblical fellowship that we're about to talk about and this giving and receiving of encouragement. Now, fellowship that we're going to talk about and this encouragement, I want you to hear off the bat, it is not limited to small groups, okay? It is not limited to community groups, but it's where it most often begins and occurs at Palm Vista by design. We connect in the Sunday service, we grow through community groups, and we go, that's next week, through our ministry teams and service. So let's begin with fellowship. Our gospel growth is fostered by what we call biblical fellowship. Maybe you've heard the Greek word behind that, koinonia. That word, you don't need to know it, but it's translated as participation or sharing. Well, what do we share as the people of God? What is this partnership, this koinonia, this fellowship that we share? We share the gospel. We share Christ together. We share his life his death, his resurrection, his promises. We also share in his suffering as well as the people of God. If you're a Christian here today, you and I share the same spiritual identity and we, you and I share the same spiritual experiences. We are like those who have been through a flood together, a tsunami. Okay, we're in South Florida, a hurricane where I grew up In California, an earthquake. We're like those who have fought together in the battle in the same war. To quote Pastor Tim Keller here, our fellowship is formed by the same common experiences that form a deep, permanent bond that is stronger, stronger than blood. We, if you're a Christian here, have experienced God's Radical grace through repentance and faith. And that has become the most foundational event of our life. We may have nothing else in common here this morning, okay? We may be different genders. We may be different ages. We may have a different ethnicity. We may have different educational backgrounds, different personalities, and different gifts. But we share Christ together. We share the same life and death experience. And if you're a Christian here, I know you know what I'm talking about. It's the gospel which makes fellowship possible. You see, fellowship is created by the gospel. It is a gift to us. And it's an incubator for growth and change. 
Biblical fellowship is not just, ah, one more to do that I need to do as a Christian or at Palm Vista. No, it's a gift that we are to mine for encouragement and growth. Are you mining it? Like war veterans, are we talking to one another about the deliverance and Christ's provision and victory? You see, it ought to be odd when we get together as Christians and talk about everything but Christ. Now, hopefully we're talking about a lot of things. We're human, we have human interests, right? So yeah, I'm hoping we're talking about guys, whether it be sports or cars, whether it be fashion, whether it be diet, exercise, and sure design. That's all good. But are we also talking about the battles we share? the battles we're in in Christ, our grace and provision. Is that coming up in conversation? It can be difficult at times, can it? But are we encouraging that among one another? You know, guys, when someone has the courage to, to ask that deeper question, to go a little deeper, you know, what do you say? Oh man, yeah, don't, don't get spiritual on me again. Well, if you're saying that, and you're a Christian, that's not manly, that's cowardly. Now, we, we, should, we share Christ together. I expect that from a non-Christian. But we're together. We share Christ together. Is that coming up in our conversation? If someone has the courage to bring it up and to share the heart level, to ask the question about, how are you doing? I mean, spiritually, how's your soul? Are we answering it honestly? Are we engaging in biblical fellowship? Are we sharing and encouraging with one another? See, biblical fellowship is more than just just rehearsing all the war stories or gospel stories. It involves learning to see with other people's eyes. You understand, we're a lot richer because we have four gospel accounts of Christ's life, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're all written from a slightly different perspective and to a differing audience. Likewise, we as Christians see Jesus through the eyes and perspective of other believers. And we need that. C.S. Lewis once talked about his friendships. One of his close friends being Nathan Tolkien, better known as J.R.R. Tolkien, author of the well-known Lord of the Rings trilogy. And C.S. Lewis made this provocative statement. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights, read other people, than my own to show all his facets. In other words, you may think you know someone, but you alone can't bring out all that is in that one person. You can't. You need to see that person with other people. Now, I know my wife and I know my kids one way, but I get to know them in another way as I hear them talk to others, as I see how they act around others, other friends or family members. See, others have the ability to bring out a different side of my wife or my kids. Stories I've never heard before. It's not that I don't know my own wife and children. I do. But it's this. 
I get to know my own wife and children better as I share them with others. Do you see that? If this is true with another human being, how much more with the Lord? You can't really know Jesus all by yourself. Say it again. You can't really know Jesus all by yourself in the way that I'm talking about here. As we join in fellowship with others, that common relationship we have in Christ, I get to know Christ better as I see how you worship him, as I see how you walk with him, as I see that I get to know my Savior better. Yes, through his word, absolutely, but also through your experience as you walk in worship as well. We need each other to help us grow in our knowledge of Christ, of our love for Christ, and our affection for Christ. Paul, the Apostle Paul, put it this way when speaking to Philemon in his personal letter to him. Philemon 1, chapter, uh, verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith, this is Paul's prayer for Philemon. I pray that the sharing of your faith, that's koinonia, that's the word used there. I pray that your fellowship may become effective for the full knowledge of, of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. What is he saying here? I'm praying that the fellowship that you have, that we share, would become effective so you would have the full knowledge of every blessing that we have in Christ. Something's entailed here. What's entailed? It's saying you're not going to have the full knowledge of Christ without sharing in fellowship with other believers as well. To quote Tim Keller from his excellent book, Center Church. It's a long quote, but just hear it. I think it's helpful in the direction we're going this morning. He says this. Growth in grace, wisdom, and character does not happen primarily in classes and instruction through large worship gatherings or even in solitude. Most often... Growth happens through deep relationships and in communities where the implications of the gospel are worked out cognitively and worked out practically in ways that no other setting or venue can afford. In a classroom relationship, students and teachers have contact with one another primarily at the level of intellect. The teachers and students do not live together, eat together, or have much additional contact with one another, socially, emotionally, or spiritually. We do not find a classroom relationship between Jesus and his students, nor did the students relate this way with one another. Instead, he created a community of learning and practice in which there was plenty of time to work out the truth in discussion, dialogue, and application. This example suggests that we best learn and apply what we are learning in small groups and among friends, not in academic settings alone. I think you know 
here at Palm Vista, we're committed to small groups, which we call community groups. If you're new to us, those groups occur either on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, once a week. The first week of the month, we all meet together. The second, excuse me, our group, everyone in that group together at a certain home with a certain leader. That second week, just the women of that group meet. The third week, we all meet in that group in the home. The fourth week, just the men meet. This is our desire. This is our attempt at Palm Vista. This is the means of growth that we have established to help foster and cultivate community and fellowship. And even eating, where we can work out and apply what we're learning with each other. But please hear this. Fellowship that we're talking about here, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. And so do community groups. And here's the rub. The Spirit often chooses to put you together with people who you would never, ever choose on your own. Maybe it's because, let's be honest, you just don't see them as spiritually mature as you are, at least compared to you. Maybe it's because they talk too much or they talk too little. Either way, it freaks you out. Maybe it's just because their mannerisms are just irritating to you. God has divinely chosen to use, yes, even those people, to show more of himself to you. Welcome to the church. Welcome to the church. I love the book, the title of the book, in which the singles are going through this year. It's a book by, I think, Paul Tripp and Timothy Lane, entitled, it's a great title, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. That's good. Oh, fellowship can be messy. Community groups can be messy, but they are a mess worth making. To use the analogy of boarding a plane, let's go back to our diagram if we can, our connect, grow, go diagram. You see there we have check-in is the connect. We're now at the grow stage, which the analogy we're going to use, the metaphor, it means boarding the plane. See, boarding the plane joining a group, entering into biblical fellowship, you're going to bump elbows. There's no way around it. You board planes today, you get on your seat. If you have a middle, a middle seat, you're going to feel a little claustrophobic, aren't you? You may even be a little freaked out. You know, as you hear that person next to you coughing and you just imagine all those germs recirculating through the venting system, venting system of the airplane... Outbreak! Contagion! I don't know what movie it was. I can just picture all the particles and germs coming through the airplane just circulating around and around for hours. You get the point. Welcome to flying. Welcome to fellowship, up close and personal. But please don't get me wrong. Community groups, nor flying, is a necessary evil. It's not. It's not. It's a joy that grows us together and gets us where God intends for us to go as a church. That is growth, which in turn leads to going. That's next week's topic. And making disciples for God's glory. I grew up flying what's called standby or space available on space available passes or tickets because my mom was a flight attendant. That's what it meant is I had to go to the check-in to the gate, and I had to wait. 
I didn't know if I was going to board that plane. Only if there were open seats available, only if someone missed their flight, would they, at the very last minute, call my name and I would dash onto the plane before the door closed. I know what it is to check in and not to board. I've spent many a night in an airport, even airport parking garages. (laughs) I've slept there, okay? I was at the gate, but I didn't board. Let me tell you, it's the pits. It is the pits. But I got good news for you here at Palm Vista. We're flying and there's space available for you. All right? There are relationships to be formed and there is encouragement to be had for each and every one of you should you board. And I want to spend the remaining time talking about what awaits us on this flight, to use the analogy. It's the action word of biblical fellowship. It's called encouragement. It's not separate from biblical fellowship. It's one of the key aspects of biblical fellowship. It's encouragement. Oh, and we need encouragement. And it's God's way of growing us in community. So fellowship, now encouragement. The word most often behind the word interpreted encourage in our English Bibles actually has quite a few meanings what we may call a large semantic range, okay? It's the Greek word parakaleo, okay? Don't worry about that, just there, but it's one word, but it's expressed and interpreted many different, translated many different ways in scripture. Sometimes it's interpreted as encourage. Other times, exhort. Other times, comfort, appeal, or even implore or urge. You don't need to know the Greek word. But what you do need to know is this. This word is not some obscure word. It's used 109 times in the New Testament. And this command to encourage, to exhort, is a command for every Christian. I want to read two scriptures for you. I'll put them up on the projector there, slide. Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 13. We read the following. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Let me interject, not exhort tomorrow. Scripture never says exhort someone tomorrow, today. What is still today? Do it. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now we're going to skip ahead to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. We read, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 3, the word was exhort in the English Standard Version. Hebrews 10, the word was encouraged. Different words in English, Same word in Greek, parakaleo, this word we're talking about, okay? You see, as your pastors, Al and I, we want to encourage you. But we can't do it alone. We're finite. We're limited. And Sundays alone won't cut it. Notice the verbiage of of these commands in Hebrews. Notice the one another's. This one another speaks 
of obligation, a familial responsibility. We're part of the same family. We got a responsibility to one another. It's to encourage, it's to exhort, it's to urge, it's to comfort. It's the ministry of every Christian. In our community groups, our youth group, which is also a small group that meets on Friday nights, and a singles group that meets on Sunday, they're all designed to help fulfill this one another command and to live in the good of it. Because you need encouragement. I need encouragement. I need a lot of it. That's why we're commanded to give it because we need it. Because you and I are in a battle for our souls. And we often grow weary, do we not? It's so easy to lose perspective in what is often called the fog of war. We feel like we're losing the battle against our own sin. We feel like sin is running rampant in our culture. And we can feel overwhelmed by the sin manifested in us or around us. We need someone to come alongside us and to call us to God's truth and grace. God's truth and grace. This word, parakaleo, interpreted in courage, literally means to call in or to call from besides. I want to illustrate with a story. A few years ago, my family and I camped out in Denali National Park. That is about smack in the middle of Alaska. And in this wonderful National Park, there's one particular mountain called Mount McKinley, just renamed Denali by Obama a few weeks ago, that stands at 20,000 plus feet, the largest mountain in North America. And although Mount McKinley, Denali's peak, towers above the rest, it is actually very difficult to see because it's often shrouded in fog or clouds. And during our visit to this national park, we were camping out, we had a really hard time, a difficult time spotting the mountain amidst all the clouds and the fog, even though it wasn't that far away from where we were camping. The park rangers, they assured us it was there. They told us where to stand, where to look, and what to look for. But we looked to no avail. And there's the last day. We were hiking, or just coming back from this long hike, back to our campground. We're almost to our campsite. And this elderly couple, I didn't know who they were. Hey, stop. Turn around. Do you see it? Mount McKinley. And they handed me their binoculars. And lo and behold, for the first time on the trip, I could see Mount McKinley in all her majestic glory. That's what it means to be an encourager, to come alongside one another in the fog and say, come close, look, and hand that person who's having a hard time seeing God's grace in the gospel, giving them binoculars and God's word to see and say, yeah, he's here. He's right here in your circumstance. Take a look. That is the ministry of encouragement. And that's what I want for you and me, for us to grow as a church. And I want us to avail ourselves of every context imaginable, but starting with small groups to be able to do that on a regular basis. Because we lose vision, don't we? We're often in a fog. Even though we know the truth right here, we fail to see.
in the heat of our circumstances. To be able to say, look. To come alongside someone, look. Look at who God is. Just look at his power, how he's revealed his power and his grace. Look at his provision found in Christ Jesus. Look upon Jesus, whom God's glory is centered. But you know what? Sometimes we don't just need binoculars. There are times when you and I, we need someone to walk us to that mountain because our energy is spent. There's times where you and I need someone to turn us around because we're going this way and the mountain's that way. We need friends. We need friends who are willing to turn us around at those moments. There's times when you and I, we just need encouragement. We're walking the path. We're going to the mountain. You just need encouragement to walk the path of righteousness in this fallen world. We need each other. If you're a member here at Palm Vista, the choice you make to be here on Sunday, the choice you make to join us in fellowship in these different contexts during the week, that is not just a personal decision. You get that? It affects your growth. But you know what else? It affects my growth and our growth as well. There are others to whom you've been joining this church who need your binoculars, who need your helping hand. So the question is, will you be there for them? For your growth as well as ours as a church, for our maturation. Men, have your attention. Let's lead the way here in biblical fellowship and encouragement. Maybe you come on Sundays. You don't say it, but this is what you think. Yeah, check Sundays, did the church thing. If you're not engaged relationally with people here at Palm Vista, if you're not experiencing biblical fellowship, you're not doing the church thing. Not as I read Ephesians 4. You're not. That church thing involves friendship and fellowship. It involves this ministry of encouragement. And that entails relationships, people that you're meeting with and know. Now, I know when I say that, there could be trouble here. Corey, you're just being legalistic. Now I got to attend on Sundays. Now I got to come on Wednesday nights. No, I'm not. This is about your heart. I understand some of you, there are some here who are providentially hindered during the week of getting together with other folks. Maybe it's a season you're in, maybe because you have to work. I understand that. I'm talking about your heart. Do you want to be in fellowship? Because if you want to be in fellowship and you're seeking it, you know what? You're going to find creative ways to do it. Even if you can't meet that certain night of the week, you're going to do it. When I'm booking a flight, I have to look at my schedule and then the flight schedule. Sometimes I look at the flight schedule and say, you know, I can't take that afternoon or evening flight. It's not going to work for me. But you know what's usually available? It's a flight really early in the morning. Those are the ones that are always available. The one at 6 a.m. They're always the cheapest flights too. Why? Because no one wants to get to the airport at 4 a.m. That's the last choice. Well, if you can't make the afternoon evening flight, you may have to click on that 6 a.m. flight. That may mean you need to get up and be at the airport at 4 
Where am I going with this? If you want fellowship, you're going to find it and seek it. Say, well, I got to be, I got to leave for work at seven or six during the morning. Well, the only time you got is to meet with some another guy, meet at 5.30 to 6.30. Well, I, I, I need my sleep. Well, yeah, how much is it worth to you? For years, I had a group of five men. We met at 6 a.m. every single Friday morning at Bagel King in Maitland. It was wonderful. We were all young fathers at the time. I mean, we would walk in, hey, first man, you didn't get any sleep last night, did you? You know, we laughed. But we wanted to be together. We wanted to pray with one another. We wanted to have accountability. We wanted to encourage one another. We wanted to pray together. We memorized scripture together. Why? Because we wanted to grow. We made the time. So it's not about getting up at whatever hour of the morning. It's about making time in your schedule, creatively, however you can do it, to get together with others. Hopefully it's going to start with community group. But if it's not there and you can't do that, others. And if it is community group and you want more, go for it. You want a men's ministry? You got it here. You want a women's ministry? There's women here. You can meet with them as well. Not in lieu of community group, but also in addition to develop those relationships. By God's grace, are we availing ourselves of the means that God's given us to grow? And that starts with one another right here in this room. We need men who aren't just milk drinkers. We need men who are meat eaters. I'm referencing Hebrews chapter five now. Let me just read that for you. You don't have to turn there. Just The author of Hebrews, he's, he's a pastor. This is a sermon. He's preaching like I am. And he's saying this to his listeners. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone else to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. In other words, by now, you ought to be speaking the truth and love to one another. You ought to know God's word. But you don't. You're a child. You're still drinking milk. You haven't grown. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, unskilled in applying God's word to your life, you could say since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's right for a newborn to nurse at his or her mother's breast. It is right for a newborn to drink milk from a bottle. It's even a little cute. But it's not cute when a child is five or 10 or 18 years old. It's not just weird. It's wrong. (laughs) It's wrong. God is calling us men to be those who are meat eaters, those who know the word of God and able to skillfully apply it to our lives and speak it in love to others. He's calling women too. I'm just talking to God because I'm a guy and we, we can be lazy here. We can be passive. We can be indifferent. I know it's in my own heart. I'm preaching to myself as well. I need this. I get lazy. I get too content with where I'm at. But I want God by his spirit, not me, to urge you this morning. You need fellowship. We need fellowship, not just for your sake, but for the church, that we would grow to be all that God wants us to be here at Palm Vista. 
So I'm speaking to men, yes, but I'm speaking to women. It's time for us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers. I know we got doers here. We got meat eaters. I love you. I hope this challenges you, but also you here. I believe we have my Palm Vista. I just want more. I want to be greedy here, okay? Do I have permission to be greedy? I want to be greedy. I want more meat eaters, okay? I want some barbecues happening, all right? It's time for us to make that phone call to that person, to set that alarm clock, to be able to meet, even when it's 6 a.m. or whatever it is, that insane time that flight is leaving in the morning. It's time to connect, grow, and go. Sunday is needed, but Sundays alone won't bring us to mature manhood, to where we are going as a church. It's time to walk up to the gate. It's time to board. People are waiting. Small groups, rich fellowship, and encouragement await. Can I invite the worship team to come on up? And as we do, let me pray for us this morning. AJ, let's do when God moves. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. It's so easy to hear these messages. I'm aware of my own heart. Ah, here's another to do. Oh, Lord. By your grace, I ask that we would see that you have given us each other as an important means to grow into the person, into the people that you want us to be. So Lord, I ask that you would move us. We're gonna sing this song. Lord, when you move, Lord, you need to move in our hearts. It has to be your grace. Oh Lord, we know our tendencies. Lord, would you move in our hearts by your spirit? Would you build your church? Would you animate us here at Palm Vista to connect, to grow, and yes, to go and worship to our Savior. So Lord, do that work. We are dependent upon you, but we believe it is your will, and we come confidently asking, because you have revealed this to us, that you have chosen us to go and bear fruit here at Paul Vista and into the nations. And Lord, we're asking for it now in your name. Amen.